This is the Alpaca Podcast for all things alpaca. If you're an owner, a soon-to-be owner, a want-to-be owner, or are just alpaca mad or love the fleece, welcome to the Alpaca Tribe. I'm Steve Hetherington. Hi, Steve here. Here we are again with a new episode of the Alpaca Tribe podcast. I'm hoping that hearing the stories of other alpaca owners will be helpful for those who are thinking about keeping alpacas, or who have recently got started. They're also good reminders for those of us who have had the delight of keeping these amazing animals for some time now. The plan is to be practical as well as entertaining. The overall goal is confident and fulfilled owners with happy and healthy alpacas. Just listening to the podcast will not achieve this, I know, but hopefully it is a step along the way. If you would like me to cover any other specific issues or topics, please do let me know by dropping an email to steve at alpacatribe.com. In this episode, we meet Victoria Barrett of Simply Alpaca, who has a wide range of experience both inside and outside of the alpaca world. Having worked for many years as a paramedic, Combining that with developing her alpaca herd and related activities was always something of a challenge. For the last two years, she has been concentrating solely on the alpacas, so do check out her website. Details in the show notes. This will give you an idea of the wide range of activities she's now involved in. This goes from camelid dynamics handling training to fibre craft work with spinning and wet felting. I first met Victoria on a camelid dynamics training course, though it also turns out that we both did a wet felting workshop at one of the early alpaca futurity shows. Both of us, it seems, were caught by the bug at that time. One episode could not possibly do justice to the wealth of experience and knowledge that Victoria could share with us, and I therefore hope to have her on the podcast again at some time in the future. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Thanks for being here. Here's Victoria. Hi, Victoria. It's great to have you with us on the Alpaca Tribe podcast. Thanks, Steve. When did you meet your first alpaca and how did it make you feel? If you can remember Gosh. that far back. Well, it must have been ooh, at least 15 years ago, one of the last royal shows at Stoneleigh. Right. Um, so that'll tell you exactly how, how long ago it was. Uh, we'd never seen anything quite like it before. Um, we'd not been in farming. We'd not been in livestock, but we lived a country lifestyle and just saw these animals and were sort of blown away by them, really. Uh, I then had the opportunity to work with a guy whose family farmed sheep in Devon and they'd moved to alpacas because they were easier. No birthing in the night. Um, they were getting on a bit. So alpacas sort of fitted that that niche, really. And then it just must have sown a seed, sat in the back of my brain somewhere, because for some reason, and that's lost in the Mr. Times, we decided to go and visit a small breeder right? and actually get hands-on, meet them close up, hands-on, feel them handle them, talk about them, what they need. And their setting was just the most dreamlike setting, little tiny Winnie Valley, stone farmhouse, stone barn, looking out the kitchen window at the alpacas. Yeah. It's like the stuff dreams are made of. Yeah. And so it kind of just sat there for a little while. We didn't have any land. We were house bought and paid for, heading for, you know, fairly average, boring midlife and onwards. Yeah. And then something changed. <laughs> and then, yeah, uh, yeah, Rog had the audacity to go away one Easter. In fact, it's Easter just 10 years ago right. to, to play golf with the boys. And these alpacas must have been stirring in the back of my mind because I came across an alpaca experience day at Toft. 
All right. Thought, yeah. I can do that this weekend. I can go and do that. So I did. So that was obviously much more hands-on, much more talking alpacas, much more what do they need, how do you look after them, everything about them, and came back and said to Rog, can we have alpacas? With the sort of subtext that we're going to have alpacas. Yeah, you, you've had your weekend golfing. Can we have yeah. alpacas? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've got no land. We've got, you know, no experience with livestock. Can we have alpacas? So anyway, some talking and... We had a farmer friend who we knew would lend us some land to rent us some land for a bit. Raked out my savings, mustered up the best we could, and came away with three pregnant females. Right. Uh, and there, therein lies a tale. Um, when I'm talking to potential owners now, I say, decide what you want to do with them before you buy them. Yeah. So uh, important. Because yeah. once you have three pregnant females, that immediately becomes six. <laughs> and then, of course, the temptation is to get them pregnant again. And then you end up yeah. with nine. Uh, and then you buy a few more. And all of a sudden, here we are, we're heading towards 50 now. Have you? Right. Um, so, yes, the, the idea of pregnant females, it, it just never crossed my mind that maybe we could start with pet boys. Right. You didn't have to do the breeding. <laughs> we didn't have to expand. It was just one of those things. May have been, may have been good sales technique. <laughs> possibly but i think i think also you'd already you'd already kind of made your mind up hadn't you so yeah i think probably, probably had yeah yeah so going back to the early days and and getting started what kind of difficulties or, or challenges in particular were you having to deal with and how did you overcome those well our very first challenge was uh first we had to go and get them sheared so we had to take them back to the breeder so that was that was a, a baptism of fire because obviously they were sort of slotted on the end of a, a large number and a busy commercial shearers, fairly industrial. And that was interesting, a little, little disconcerting. Then we came back and one of the females gave birth two weeks early. So that was just two weeks after we'd taken delivery. Uh, on the coldest, wettest May morning, um, we had a phone call from one of the neighbours overlooking the field that we were borrowing initially to say there's a baby. So we raced down there. It was pouring with rain. It was cold. It was wet. Mum's yeah. a maiden. Um, so we spent the entire morning, neither of us going to work, getting it dry, picking it. We hadn't got a shelter, so we, we had got bought a livestock trailer. So we took the trailer down, picked baby up. Neighbours rallied round with hot water bottles and two-litre lemonade bottles filled with hot water and blankets. Oh, excellent. Good tips. Bed, yeah, bedded him down in, in, the, in the trailer spoke to the breeder and she said, if he's, if he's been trying to stand, but now he's getting weak, try a little bit of uh, glucose, mm. just, a tea, just a teaspoon in uh, some water, pint of water, and, and don't give him too much, but just enough energy to, to help him combat the cold and stand up. Yeah. In the end, we had to just pick mum up and put her in the trailer, and we, we were both forced to go to work. But he was warm. He was still trying to stand. Um, by the time we came home at 4 o'clock, he was up, warm, dry, fed, feeding, Excellent. Um, yeah, it's so that was stress, that was stressful time though when it's the first time round, isn't it? Uh, yeah, and we've only had them for two weeks. <laughs> yes, <laughs> bit of a bit of a baptism, but yeah, yeah, good outcome. Yeah, oh, well good done, outcome. well done. I know that you you breed and sell alpacas to to other people, and from from your experience, are the, are the kind of challenges you faced the same as as others? Um, well, the first thing I wanted to do was I, I found Cavalier Dynamics fairly early on, and right. It, Bought the book, devoured it on holiday, as you do. Right. Came back, bought the kit, couldn't do it. Huh. So um, 
I guess typical of new owners will be how do you handle them? How do you catch them? How do you do the stuff that you need to do to them? And although we'd in the experience day covered toenail um, trimming, you know, we went to a herd where they were all used to picking their feet up and, and you just, you just do it and injections and all that. But being a paramedic injections don't scare me. So I think handling was the biggest issue. How do you get them handled? We'd love to halter them and, and take them for a walk. Uh, and how to do it in the most sort of gentle and, and friendly way. Other than that, I think we, we must have been pretty lucky because we didn't have any problems. We knew about poo picking, so he kept the field clean. And, and the re- reason for that? So he didn't have to worm routinely, although I wasn't aware at that point. We were just told. Uh, <laughs> you they, just did they, it because you were told to do it. Just because we do were told yeah, to do it, absolutely. That's what, what you do. Yeah. 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 Uh, if if it works, but you know that's experience mm. down the years. You know protocols have changed now, so we don't routinely worm now. Right. Um, always fecal test, and then as appropriate. Yeah. But in those early days, yeah, you do what your breeder tells you, and if your mm. breeder has done what their breeder told them, then the same thing's been happening for years without any anybody actually questioning. Well, does it does it need to happen that way? Are there other ways of doing things? I've I've found that typically. If you ask three or four breeders or, or, or alpaca owners for an opinion of, of a particular thing, you, you can end up with five or six different versions of, of this is what should be, should be happening. And it, it does, for, for a new owner, it can be challenging to find the right answer. There are people around who can help with that. And I think you, you, normally you'd go back to your, where you got the animals from. Absolutely. That's your, your first reference point, isn't that? Def- definitely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like asking doctors for an opinion and they'll all give you a different idea. Yeah. I always say to people, I can tell you what we do. You go to other breeders, they'll tell you what they do. You have to look at the sort of their circumstances, their animals, what they're achieving, what, what their outcomes are, and, and see how that fits in with what you want to do and want to achieve and how you want to look after your animals. I think it's, it's, you, you take advice from everywhere and you make your own decision at the end of the day. You, you, you have to say Absolutely. That's, yeah, that's, that's your that's responsibility to, to do that. But, but do research, yeah. do, do the, the connection with people and find out what other people are doing and try and understand why as well. I think that's, that's really helpful. Oh, that's vital. Um, yeah. yeah. And then, and Just don't, it. don't do things blindly because people have told you mm. that's what you do. Ask yeah. why. No, it's really yeah. good. It's really helpful. Thank you. There are lots of things for new owners to learn and skills to develop and, and things to get familiar with, but are there a few things that you kind of put at the top of that list, the things that they, that they really need to concentrate on first? Um, that's a difficult one because there's so many things. I mean, you've got the, what do you want to do with your animals? Do you want them just to be pretty in the field or do you actually want to be hands-on and and work with them or or do trekking or visits or school things? Um, is breeding your priority? Uh, is fiber your priority? In which case they can just be field ornaments. They come in for husbandry tasks. For me, I think it's being able to catch and work with them to to do all of those things that you want to do. So definitely, you've got to be able to catch and hold them to do husbandry tasks. Those things have to happen, injections and toenails and shearing. So I would concentrate perhaps on developing a relationship with the animal, getting them to trust you, work on being a non-threatening person in their lives, work out how best... To do that, whether to start with it's just shaking a feed bucket, getting them to come to your to the bucket, working in a pen, 
bringing them in and, and, and let them understand that not, not always bad things happen in a pen. A lot of people like to hand feed as a way of, of building trust. Some people don't. Reason being that it teaches them to then sort of start searching your hands for food every time you go in. <laughs> There's a hand. There must be food there. Absolutely, yeah. 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 Whereas if you just go up with a yellow bucket and then they get treats, then they know it's only when the yellow bucket comes out that that's when they're going to get treats. So I, th- I think working on the relationship is is important. Most and important. I th- and I think generally people, that that is something they want to do. That is that's one of the reasons they've, they've gone for alpacas in the first place. Yes. Um, and the challenge then comes of how do you do that? Because in the field, you move towards them, they move away. It's too, too much space. You've got to bring them down into a smaller space where you can work with them. So the, yeah. the whole thing of uh, of having a a routine, having a place where you feed them, that that's the place they, they they're familiar with, uh, yes. and don't feel threatened by, uh, and then that that reinforcing. But but bringing them down into a small catch pen for me, catch pens are the, are the number one thing that people really need to have. Yes, because um, that's that's the starting foundation for for so many of the things that we we need to do. That's right. Yes, but even even um, just working in the field. Letting their natural curiosity yep. bring them towards you. Um, they, they are will, curious, yes. Yeah, ours will all wander up just to check out, see if you were, you're worth anything today, and, and then they'll wander off again if you've got nothing of value. Right. <laughs> Tricky lot, aren't they? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You do a whole wide range of things with the alpaca and around the, the, the alpacas. How did you discover which bit you enjoyed doing the most? Actually, which, which bit do you enjoy the most? Well, initially, it was the fibre, right? Um, such that I was so excited about having fibre and I had to wait for our first lot of shearing that I actually went and bought a load of um, <laughs> merino tops so I could practice, practice. felting before Fantastic. I got one. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, in the early days, I really loved the fibre craft. Right. Um, and then we, as we got to handle them more and, and train them more, we started with the walking. Right. Obviously, we only had a few, so that was a bit more difficult. But uh, those things have all kind of expanded. The fibre is still a number one mm. enjoyment, uh, but I get less time for that because there's more animals. Sure. And we do more animal-focused stuff, but I do love – I really do love working with a fibre, uh, particularly felting. Right. Is that wet felting or uh, – Wet felting, yeah. yeah. I've always been a bit crafty but never really good at anything in particular. Like I'm a bit sporty but no, not outstanding in anything. Right. And then felting, it just one of those things that clicked. Right. It's so It's so simple, the technique, but so versatile. Mm. Um, all you need is, is imagination, which I lack a fair deal of it, but YouTube's good. <laughs> YouTube is very good. There are a lot of things that uh, when you see some of the stuff that people do, you go, how oh. did they do that? Absolutely. Or you think, oh, I could have a go at that. That's that's not outside of my my yeah. abilities, or yeah. I think anyway. But it's it's a it's a forgiving craft. It allows you to to play. And it, it really does um take you somewhere else because it's so tactile and sensual mm. um that it's, you lose yourself. I completely. remember remember the first idea I think it was uh, a little workshop that one of the I think it was probably one of the Futurity shows. That yes. one of the early ones. There was somebody who was yeah. doing a doing a workshop and went and just having a go, and then yes. you you kind of it's the bit of fiber and a bit of water and a bit of soap and you do the thing and then all of a sudden some magic happens That's in it. your hand. I remember and, that futurity. That's where I got the bug. Yeah, it was absolutely amazing. I'd never experienced anything like it, and it was as you say, it was very absorbing, 
but you just kind of you zone out a bit and you you yeah. kind of chill out and it's just it's just so therapeutic in lots of ways. It was, yes. yeah, it was a great experience. So if you haven't tried wet felting, people, you need to have a go. And the best thing about it is, is you can start and finish an entire project in one day. It's not like yeah. knitting or crochet or spinning. Yeah, where it takes weeks. Or me, yeah. my case, years. <laughs> Mine too. Yeah. And I know you do various courses and things because I've seen I've seen the pictures on the yes. website. So yes. we, we'll have a link in the in the show notes for people to find the website. But you do a range of things, but including doing doing some days working with felt. We do introduction to to fiber craft. So uh, my sister's a master spinner. And she teaches. And, right. Oh, that's uh, handy. And as taught in America, she prefers sheep's wool, but yeah. I can't, I can't convert her, but she will, <laughs> she will spin mine for me. Yeah. So we can do an introduction day where we can do, um, fiber prep. So taking the raw fleece, how you can manage with it at home with, uh, cheap, easily available tools to prepare it for spinning. Marilyn, my sister, she, she will teach any number of different spinning classes, uh, beginners, improvers, Problem solving days, people can bring their wheels. She'll help them set up, set it up for them. Um, spinning particular yarns, uh, blending for colours, uh, and different uh, native techniques. So we can do the original drop spindle spinning. She also teaches a number of um, Native American Indian techniques: Navajo spindle spinning, Blackfoot spinning, which all have their own amazing tales. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so they're all versions of spindles, but they're all very, very, very different. Uh, so she's she's a a fount of information if you're a spinner and want to learn more. And, th- and then the other stuff you were doing with the, the different kind of f- felting and uh, the felting classes we do uh, basic wet felting. So we'll introduce flat felting in the morning and maybe a little bit of three um, D in the afternoon. We could do an entire day making slippers, so you actually end up with a pair of slippers to go away with um we've done a hat making day wow um so actually get to make a, a hat of a description it's all the same basic wet technique but mm. then it's how how you shape it afterwards great fun yeah just great fun yeah sounds it and as you said very therapeutic so yes the other stuff you do and you do a range of things you mentioned camera dynamics you do you do training in that as well yeah we do handler training so yeah. we teach people those those techniques to handle your animal in the most uh, kind and uh, efficient way. Yeah, that's, that's a big area, that whole thing. I, and I'd like to, to, to actually focus on that for, for one of the episodes. So I may, I may be coming back to you under that one. Um, but that's, okay. I think it's, it, it's something I, I, we, we originally met on a Camelot yeah. Dynamics yes. course, uh, yes. which was, was excellent introduction and, and stretching. Um, yes, very and, much so. and it does, it is a, a very good grounding it gives lots of understanding, lots of, of techniques um, which are very practical mm-hmm. and the philosophy behind it, 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 it works really well. It's, I, I've found that when I've passed on the little bits that I, I'm able to pass on to other people and point them in the right direction, um, it is very, very valuable and definitely something that's worth pursuing. So there'll be links in the, in the show notes again to, to find out a bit more about that. Last time I spoke to you, you were just about to do a course to do with handling, particularly for therapy visits. Yes, I've just written a course working with alpacas and llamas in um, animal-assisted interventions. Right. So there's lots of people doing bits and pieces, like we're doing bits and pieces, uh, but nobody seems to have sort of drawn together all the bits and the handling. So I thought, well, I'll set myself a challenge, and I've, I've put together this course. Our first one's in July. Uh, it's 
based around the camelodynamics handling approach because obviously you can't do anything with your animal unless you can work with it mm. um, but then actually looking at the history of animal assisted interventions and then looking at all the legal moral ethical issues that there are about around using not just camelids but animals in general in, in the therapy but then focusing on what we can actually do with them and how how they are beneficial that's a sort of like a two-day basic for just animal interventions which will be like the nursing home visits right um the the school visits for special needs uh that kind of thing and then of planning a third day for therapists who are uh professionals therapy professionals in how we can use animals in a much more structured way mm. for for that more clinical intervention that sounds really valuable yeah Excellent. That's that's really good, and I think we'll it's see. one of the one, yes. Well, it sounds it sounds really good. Obviously, you've got to put it into practice. But I know you've got experience of having having done that kind of thing and taken your animals. Um, I'm assuming it was alpacas you've taken rather than the llamas. Oh yeah, they're a bit big. The, the llamas don't fit in the lifts so well, do they? They don't. They don't. No. No. But, uh, but you do have llamas as well. Yes, we do. We've got five llamas. Five now. Um, wow. Yes, two, uh, one female uh, and our two original boys that came. Um, the berserk male that many people have seen on Facebook, Eddie. Right. And we had a baby at Lama last year. Oh, fantastic. A little, and are, and not they, so little girl. Um, no, indeed. They, they must grow really quickly. Yeah. Alpacas do anyway, but um, I think with llamas, it would, they've got a lot of growing to do, haven't they? Yes. So um, do you find that they, they work well together, both the llamas and the alpacas? Do you have them together or...? Yes, we do. They run together. Right. Uh, the alpacas are in charge. <laughs> yeah. Or they, they think they are. Well, I don't know. The llamas are pretty laid back. Um, really? There you go. Yeah. They, they, they seem to take instruction from the alpacas much more readily than the other way around. Right. Interesting. So it's quite interesting. Very, yeah. Yeah. They're just yeah. chilled. Yeah. So I, I, think, I think I may have had a bit of prejudice against llamas um, going back. Yeah. Uh, meeting your... Uh, was it Eddie that you brought to Eddie? Yeah. So oh I... no, Eddie. Eddie's Eddie doesn't go out because he's because of his, his nature. His, his I did. Nature, yeah. Well, who was the he... one you brought to the to the training then? At the when we did the camelid dynamic training. Uh where you... was that? That the... was oh, that was a long time ago, wasn't it? Oh no, I've only had I've only had these for the last five years. All right. So I I bought I bought a female, al, la, no alpaca, a very nervous female. Yeah. No, think... there was a there was a llama there. Uh, there remember. was that was at Mandy's wasn't it no that wasn't mine oh there that we go somebody else's yeah it was just was you my... it's just you looked so natural with it <laughs> oh, <laughs> I seem I, to remember I, there ter- was... terrified yeah to have a go it was, yeah. it was my first encounter with a full full-size llama yeah and actually yeah. it was a lot better than yeah than I'd feared it would <laughs> it would be because they're just they aren't that much bigger but uh, they lo- are bigger animals. but yeah, they're much more self-contained. People ask me what's the different, aren't they, the difficult ones? But actually, I find them the easier ones. Right. Just because that's what they were bred for. They were bred for human yeah, contact. that's right. And Julie, Julie Taylor Brown said exactly the same. Yeah. When I interviewed her, she was saying the same about the, the llamas. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, no, so lovely. So go find a llama, say hello to it, but in a Absolutely. nice way. In, yes. a, in a llama way. Yes. They speak a slightly different language. You have to be careful. <laughs> <laughs> as, as do alpacas. But there yes. we are. Excellent. So... Um, we got shearing coming up. Is that going to be a busy time? Because you got approaching fifty, it you is. said. Yeah. Yes, we um, usually like to have started 
you know, by the first weekend in May, but this weather's a bit iffy. Yeah. And then we've then we've got about eighty others that we share for other people. You do you do the shearing yourself? Yes. Oh, excellent. Yeah. 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 So well, we decided very early on. Um, well, while we'd got animals of, of of not very good fleece, that it didn't matter if we messed up. Right. That we'd we'd do our own because yeah. then we haven't got to worry about the weather. We haven't got to worry about working around pregnant females. Yeah. You can just do them. A few at a time as as we're as ready as to. the weather yeah, yeah as the and weather if there are particular problem ones that that are, are really because str- they've got really heavy fleece they're struggling with the heat then you could deal with them first that's it yeah yeah so now as as a result of both of the handling that we do and the fact that we'll um share small numbers we've as i say got about 80 odd right in threes or fours and we do uh, a local farm sanctuary who've got a little herd of 11 that's the largest number we'll do right um, we're getting too old. Otherwise. Yeah, we, we're getting too old to all this. <laughs> oh, I, feel, I, I, I feel that. I feel that. Yes, I could. I could understand the, the knees <laughs> in the back. I can feel it already. Yeah, and the first one's a killer because you kind of. Oh, yes, I remember now. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Oh well. Good luck with the, the the shearing on that. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts on all those different areas, and we'll have information in the show notes so people can find you and find out more about what you're offering there. And uh, yeah, thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thank you. So there you go. And helpful wisdom relating to alpacas and getting started or keeping going. If you are enjoying the podcast, please share it with someone you know that would also benefit from hearing it. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. If you really like it, you could also add a rating or review to Apple Podcasts to help others find it. Thanks again for being here and joining me on our alpaca journey. See you again soon.